Welcome to Soul and Spies Leadership's latest podcast. And today, my special guest is Thane Laurie. Now, Thane is an award-winning, well, is an award-winning, was award-winning CEO in his home country of Scotland. Um, he's, he's now sort of semi-retired, uh, but he's a great, Thane is a graduate of the University of Aberdeen and University of Glasgow. Uh, he's had a diverse career which culminated in him leading and transforming a once struggling social enterprise and going on to win numerous prestigious business awards, both locally and nationally, including the prestigious Sunday Times top 100 companies to work for in the UK. Thane attributes success to nurturing a strong workplace culture, focusing on the staff at the, at the very heart of the organisation. Someone after my own heart, I can see. Thane is, Thane is married with two sons and has been practicing, been a practicing Buddhist for over 20 years. His book, The Buddhist CEO, will be released in December this year. It's Thane's first novel, and although he has previously published in academic peers reviewed journals uh, in the field of health science. Welcome, Thane. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Ross. Thank you for asking me on. Yes, well, the, the name that triggered me when I saw it, the fact that you're, you're writing a book, the, the Buddhist CEO, and I guess some of that's yeah. about the fact is it's, it's leading from within, not so much within the headspace, but within your heart. How do you see, see leadership generally? Well, I was very lucky to be, I consider myself to be very lucky to be asked to be a, be a CEO of an organisation. So I suppose I saw that as a great... Um, it was a great compliment and um, a real pleasure to be asked to do that. Yeah. But I've always seen, I've always seen, I think that's important. You've got to want to do it and you've got, you've got to, to want to do it. it. Yes, yes. You want to do it. Do. And um, yeah. I think leadership is a great honour, but I also think it's about being, being a role model, yeah. setting the scene for a company, um, trying to instill values within a company and organisation, trying to live and breathe there, but also encourage the staff to do the same setting a vision for people to work towards and um, really being somebody who's willing to, I think, embody that, but also be willing to get stuck into the difficult issues. Mm, yeah. And I think too many leaders avoid the tricky issues. And I, I wanted to be somebody, when I, when I went into the organisation, um, Scarf was for our CEO in North East Scotland. I wanted to say, let's, let's try and really sort this out. And a lot of that came from changing the values mm, yeah. and uh, and sort of springing forward from there. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, and, and like I would, I suspect that like the, the Buddhist CDO, and, and this is not a how to lead book, it's a novel, isn't it? It's a novel, yes. It's a novel. And I, I hope it would interest any person who's interested in leadership. Yeah. But it's not actually, I think some people maybe see the title, The Buddhist CEO. It may think it's a sort of a sugar coated view yeah. of leadership, but yeah. it's not at all, actually. It's, Describes a, um, a main character, Hamish, who's a CEO of a, of a not-for-profit in Scotland, and how he is in our struggles, how he struggles to live as a Buddhist, and how he struggles to deal with some of the very difficult staffing issues that I describe in the book. Yeah, yeah. Describes how he feels around that. He never gives up. But some people may see him as a hero. Some people may be screaming at the book, "Why are you not doing this?" And you know, so yeah. he's, he's, he doesn't have a. It's not a book. It raises more questions and it provides answers. Yeah, I think, but yeah. it gets you thinking. <laughs> it gets you thinking. Look, at the end of the day, it's 
just in those couple of lines then you're saying, because I, I always talk a lot about on this show and people who listen would, would uh, certainly agree with that, is that you've got to stay true to your inner self. And that's yeah. the dynamic is, is, and that's why we have soul-inspired leadership podcasts. It's, yeah. it's leading from within. And that sometimes can be very difficult when the outside world and the pressures of business push and yeah. pull you all over the place when in your heart of hearts, you know that I've got to be doing this way. And that's the way to do it at the end of the yeah. day. That will be the most correct way to do it. Yeah, I would agree with that 100% that um, I thought it can be a real struggle. And certainly my main character in the book does struggle yeah. with that in our sort of turmoil. And I describe that. But I feel as a leader, you've got to really know who you are as a person. That's right. To allow you, know, to allow you to know where you're going as an organisation. Hmm. So you've got to know what your values are, what, what you're going to stick with and, and what's not, what you're not going to tolerate out with that. So I think you really do need to know yourself and your values, what you believe in and what you want to see, how you want yeah. to see the company progress. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I see when you're doing that to me, when you know yourself, to me that's the most consistent thing in your life is yourself. It's when you Absolutely. think think in your head, that's, the mo- that's quite often inconsistent because that swaps yeah. and bends with the goes with the breeze takes in whatever data's coming in, it might change it, might no different to any any computer. Put in the data, different data, change the outcome. But within yeah. yourself, it's that's the consistency. Sure, you may change and evolve over life. Yeah. But being yeah. true to that inner self gives you that consistency of action, of thought, yeah. which is then easier to sell staff because they it's yeah. more an emotional sort of connect. Yeah. And I think over time as well, I think staff appreciate and see a consistency in a leader. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've, I've seen situations before where maybe, you know, something's happened, there's been a bit of talk about it in the office, you know, just say somebody's, I don't know, maybe it's been one of those tricky issues where somebody's had a disciplinary or something's happened. Yeah. And I think staff look at how you react about these things. And I always took a view that whatever I thought about it, I never ever displayed unprofessional or never ever said anything negative about that situation. Yeah, yeah. They always, yeah. even to the other person, did say something negative about it and I knew it. I think that consistency over time, people eventually saw him, well, actually, no. You know when Thane deals with this, he deals with it properly. He doesn't say anything negative with the person, just dealt with professionally. I think over time, people come to really trust you when you do that and really begin to believe in the organisation yeah, uh, and where it's heading. Yeah, and I, and I agree with that because, again, that's taking that positive outlook because you can always yeah. look You can always look for the light in the darkness. Wherever, there's yes. always light somewhere. It's just a matter of whether you look for it or not and to consistently do it that yeah. staff, you're not being over-optimistic, you're just believing no. that there is light and they see yes. that sincere belief and they'll, yeah. they'll follow you, right? They'll follow you yeah. because yeah. They, that's what they want to grab hold of. It's, uh, yeah. it's, and I read, I read once, uh, I don't know where it was, a report, either Harvard or McKinsey's or someone wrote it with some, uh, is that when you look at star, when you look to employees, the, the, the thing they hate most with, with their manager is the inconsistency. Yeah. And some have even said that even rather a bad boss if they're consistent, at least they know yeah. where they stood <laughs> and they could work around it. But when it's yes. good one day, bad the next, all over the place, they that was the one of their greatest hates about their manager. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't surprise me. I think that's the kind of thing that drives people crazy. And uh, I think you just say consistency is important. And uh, I liked what you said there about look for the light and not the darkness, because what I found was, and Scarf, we won all these awards. Yeah. And, uh, 
No, we didn't have, we're not for profit, so we didn't have lots of money to throw at people or things. Yeah, yeah. We had to find more sort of innovative ways to, um, I to encourage staff and to, to make them want to work at Scarf, I suppose, and, and to bring people in. But despite winning those awards, there were still always a handful, always consistently a smallish group, but a, a consistent mm. group of people who maybe did see the dark rather than the light. That's yeah, not what we yeah, did. Yeah. I think they can, sometimes people, they can have a, maybe of a, a slightly um, bigger impact on the country than their size actually necessarily um, mm. warrants. But I think, you know, I think people, you could very easily look for the darkness of what's gone wrong, but I prefer to look for the light and yeah. keep emphasising the light because overall there was always far more positive going on than there was negative. I wouldn't deny there was sometimes negative things because mm. nothing was perfect, but you just need to make sure people didn't get caught up in that. You go, hang on, there's far more going right than going wrong and keep people, um, make sure people saw that actually. Yeah. Something we actually eventually worked out because I think people maybe didn't realise how much because a company we did with all these little schemes that people could get involved in. But people just took it for granted eventually. So we used to sort of highlight and say, look, this is what you this is the, the sort of package you yeah, get here. Yeah, just reminding yeah. people, you know, there's a lot of what a good what we've achieved as well as what they get as a, yeah. as a package yeah. as a member of staff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like the like like we like people will follow and go towards the light. I mean they so say you're taking something forward. People don't yeah. they all get up. Let, let's head to the dark. Let's head to the let's head to the darkness. <laughs> like, like that's not something they actually enthusiastically move towards. But the no. light, in the sense of this is bright. This is where we're heading. It's a light. It's a bright future. That's what they'll head to. Yeah. But if you're saying that look, the future yeah. is dark, and we're going, that just means we're spiraling down. We're going down a funnel into God knows where. Right. So. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's so you're engendering, engendering that sort of enthusiasm by the fact, yes, we're moving yeah. forward and, and with the potential of things are getting better because we see light as getting better. So, just so you just I lost Thane there for a minute. He's back now. Or? Yeah, I'm back now, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's a slight little gap. But, yeah, look, that's uh, – the, the other thing, um, so when you're saying that you've – I noticed that you focus on your staff, in what ways did you do that in general terms? Yeah. Well, as I say, it's uh, SCARF. We're a not-for-profit organisation, so we didn't have a lot of money through it things, but we still managed to make it into the top – 100 companies to work for in the UK, mm. six years at my seven as a CEO. Yeah. And what was really pleasing about that award is that's actually based on anonymous staff surveys. So it isn't based on how well I sold the company mm. to, the, to the award. Yeah. So to, to have a staff anonymously continue to get you into that category was quite something else. So we played around with things. So we offered things like scarf time. So we offered half a day a month paid for staff to do something in their community. Mm -hmm. uh, as long as it was a, a volunteering type role. Yeah. And we offered them their birthday off paid. And with a range of different um, staff committees where staff actually generally got involved. So we had like green scarf. So a lot of the stuff we did was around energy efficiency. The staff took a lead in trying to make us as an organization as green as we could be. Yeah. With, yeah. A, uh, with a committee that actually directly liaised with me. So people could actually bring up things that, that weren't working in the company or you know, things that were frustrating mm -hmm. them. And we did genuinely try and fix them. I can't say we yeah, fixed yeah, them all, but where, yeah, where yeah. we actually where we actually saw we could fix things, we did. 
Um, so we had, a, we had like a staff barbecue every year. We didn't have much money. We got caterers with a little garden, well, a reasonable sized garden. We brought that in. It was, it was free for staff and away day once a year. We didn't have much, but we would go like um, yeah, ice, ice, ice skated or you know, or um, yeah. curling. Curling, curling. We're trained to do that. Just little things, a little bit fun, a little bit different. With a thirty-five hour working week, and people were generally pretty much always just working mm. that thirty-five hour week. So really, and we tried to be at the top end of the pay bracket within our sector, which was definitely less than the, the private sector. Yeah, we're, yeah. Compete, we're competing against the oil industry in Aberdeen. Aberdeen's yeah, I you're right. The Aberdeen's huge in the oil and gas. Yeah, yeah. So it was difficult, but doing these things, we made it a fun place to be. We had we had different campaigns around health. So when one time we had about a third of the company run a 10k, including me. Local 10k, we raised money for charity. We chose a charity each year to raise uh, money for. Staff chose it. We voted on it, and we just did a, a range of fun events throughout the year, and um, from race nights to, to people doing runs, doing quiz nights, just where it would be a bake-off competition every every sort of two months, which I took part in as well <laughs> as CEO, and it was heats and you know every tried sample of yeah. different cooking and things like that. So. It was almost always something going on every month at least. It just had some sort of fun element. It tried to people make it scarf a little bit different. It was just a great fun place to be. We worked hard and with high expectations, but it was a lot of chances to sort of socialize with your colleagues and, and really hey, kind of hey. uh, engage with these things. It, I think people, most people who worked there thought it was a an interesting place to work. The work was interesting and it was a it was a good culture. Yeah, and that on the head of it, it was a good culture in the sense that people were involved and you said it before, like you had people be involved in what, what the company can do green. So yeah. it's their involvement and the more they're involved, the better they feel about that. Um, yeah. Rather than just have someone, that's what you got to do guys. It's you now yeah. we're coming up with the ideas and we're creating and they're more likely to follow it. And like you mentioned there, that that's, that's it, right. You would be probably at the bottom end of the of, of the competitive pay grades when you when you think of Aberdeen, which is mainly oil and gas. So a lot yeah. of them a lot of yeah. them pay a lot higher than that. So yeah. For people yeah. so money wasn't the reason why people were there. They were just there because they could contribute and feel heard, I guess. Yeah, with a yeah, with a real mixture of people, with a real sort of maybe that's a traditional Aberdonian sort of maybe working class group of people worked there. Yeah. But we yeah. also had a lot of graduates come out who are quite um I suppose they were maybe, um, you know, look, looking for a, a company that was a bit different and, and mm. scarce sort of fit that for them. But one of the changes, so that really made it a fun place to, to be. But one of the changes when I came in, so it was, it was struggling a little bit when I came into the role. It's not a criticism, it was just a time of change. There was a few yeah, contracts yeah. that were lost and it wasn't necessarily the organisation's fault. It was just one of those times that an organisation goes through that I recognised quite early on that all the managers were quite scared to take decisions as well. They all looked to the CEO, even though they were maybe two or three rungs below me. So we did a lot of work to try and change that as well. We brought in coaches, and that's still ongoing. It's kind yeah. of an ongoing coaching programme. But I like to think that we greatly empower the managers. What's your team? This is where you've got to get to. This is the parameters, which are quite wide. How you get, as long as you don't go out with those parameters, mm. you, you know, you take your own decisions. So mm. we try and empower the managers. And there was a real, I give it a real boost, really, the managers that I can take decisions on my team, employ their own team, the, I didn't take any part in that at all. I think that, you know, it just created a bit more of a creative spirit within the organisation. Managers were empowered, hopefully all the way up, to take the decisions in their own departments. And I think that 
also boosted the culture. This is a fun culture, but managers could really control things as long as they did it in the right way. And you're saying, uh, like, you lead, you lead by example, really, because you and they could see your consistencies because they're again, you're referring to, to your inner self uh, when it comes to what you believe was right and how you connect. Did you see some of that then with your managers doing similar things? Or would, yeah, they, get, sure or would they get off the bus if they weren't, oh, I'm not involved with so I'll get off the bus and I'll leave. Like, what was the, what did you see happening there with your managers? Generally, managers responded to that yeah. very well. I think, I think people, as you said before, gravitate towards the light other than the darkness. And mm. I think there was a feeling of um, being uplifted, being um, trusted, feeling I've got a bit of a, a, a say over things. Um, there were times when maybe they stepped backwards, maybe occasionally when it was maybe a yeah. difficult decision, it was fine, yeah. the nice decisions, but, yeah, yeah. but overall, people responded to it well. Um, you know, that, oh, in an organisation, you do lose people occasionally. Um, maybe who did get off the bus, but mm. I found that they were few and far between that people do respond to being treated well in, in any mm. circumstance. And I think most of our managers appreciated they don't take decisions around their own team. And it really, it really uplifted them. And it, we sort of set goals and targets. They weren't even really involved in that at one time to the same degree. But I wanted them to own those targets and have a, a bit mm. of fun, creative sort of fun thing. Well, how do I meet that? If they asked me to meet this, and basically said, there's quite a wide path that you get there. Yeah, yeah. But so, so it encouraged a lot of innovation and new ideas. And it, yeah, it really, really did breathe a bit of life back into the place. Yeah. And then so, so you, uh, you're mentioning, um, well, I, I would see that when you're staying true to yourself at times, that you're getting your staff sort of buying into it. And, but at the same time, you're dealing with outside executives across different industries, I guess, in your capacity. How did you deal with some of the pressures on you to stay true to yourself rather than bend in the breeze of whatever, this is what's happening or, you know, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like this, is, this tends to be the general, the general push from business around Aberdeen, for example, or, or Scotland or the UK. How did you stay, find, stay true to yourself if that wasn't quite congruent? Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, I did have a lot of, you know, as you can imagine, CEO, I did have a lot of external yeah. dealings with local politicians, other businesses, and across Scotland as well. But my own impersonal it's a life, you know, I mentioned I'm a Buddhist, so I meditate, try and meditate every day. Yeah. I practice on mindfulness, and I find these things very yeah. sort of you know, yeah. very therapeutic, allow me to stay grounded, allow me to stay, yeah, stay, stay grounded and true myself a lot of the time. Um, I felt I always had my own sort of goal, my own sort of clear idea of who I was, who the organisation was, mm. or certain things we wouldn't do. And so I just, you know, I felt it was a moral yeah, kind yeah. of compass there that, you know, guided guided how, how we behaved. Um, I also, you know, I really tried to strike up a, a very positive relationship with my chairman as well, which was really important to me. I had the same chairman for seven years, but he's still yeah. the chairman now, yeah. I'm on the board, but... Um, yeah, me and him got on very, very well. And uh, I think as a CEO, it's, you know, it's a cliche to say it's a lonely place. Mm. But it can be because you can't always go to your senior managers, even when things are going on. It, it, also, I, I had to show, uh, you know, the yeah, other way. Not that I had all the answers. I was quite happy to get into discussions around that and help mm. them pump the answers. But I, I leaned on my, my chairman quite a lot. And just uh, he was a very experienced, um, had been the HR director mm. of 
edges, Grand Bay, which is sort of the area I'm in, a huge area. It was a big job, like 16,000 yeah. staff. He was probably HR manager of it. Um, yeah, so I had a good good relationship with him. I could chew the fat with him. I could tell him when I was struggling, and he was very open to that. And I think mm. that, that helped me as well. Yeah, and like and like you said also before, because you you're on a journey of, of self discovery, which and when with the mindfulness, the meditation, you learn so much about yourself. And you and I and I I say this many times with people I'm coaching is you have to know yourself first before you can know others. You'll never understand others unless you understand yourself, because understanding yourself just just brightens you up. Work, you suddenly work out how how humans actually tick. Yeah. So once you yeah. know that, and that then helps you connect with others, but you actually understand others' behaviours a lot in a lot more in a lot more clout with a lot more clarity. And I guess people, if they see or feel that you're they're being understood because you're understanding them more just by the fact you understand yourself. Then there again, that's another catalyst to want to follow you as a leader because they feel they feel understood. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good point actually because yeah, I think on a human level, I like to think I was it's one of my skills. I was quite good at understanding people. Yeah, but when I but when I came in, what I could sense I came in to see your role. There was a lot of frustrations around the company. So an element of managers weren't allowed to take decisions was one of them I've already discussed. But there was also a lot of practical things. People felt that IT never worked. It absolutely drove them crazy. And also we had, we covered quite a large area. So we were based in Aberdeen City and Dundee City, but there was a lot of rural areas in between yeah. there, quite mountainous rural areas. So we visited people in their homes and gave them a service there, but then provided a service to them. But um, so the, with vehicles, and they were all old and falling to, to pieces. So when I came in very quickly, Despite almost having no money to spend in it, but we've got to fix this. So we invested in this new IT system. You know, for us, it was a big, a big outlay for the yeah. size of company. And we also brought in brand new vehicles. Again, a big outlay. I think some people on the board thought, hey, you're, we're trying to save money here. You brought this in. But I'm so <laughs> glad I did it because it, the relief in the organization, but also just people went, that's oh, even listened to. We've, com we've complained about this for years. It's actually been fixed. Yeah. It gave me such a almost a, a kudos from the beginning that they've been listened to and they changed that. And I, it helped bring people on board very, very early. Just those practical solutions. Yeah, yeah, be, understand be, be that. addressed for once, you know. Yeah, plus they see that, to me, they, you see more value in yourself when, when people are providing you with a reasonable car to get to somewhere, not some old bomb. It just shows that they, they value what you're doing, what service you're doing to actually help them get there in the more effective way, I guess. And it just has a mind. It just changes the mindset, and that's that. Understand what you're saying, no yeah. doubt about that. And, and there again, that's the emotional connect with people because you know what was important to them, but yeah, and you can, you're connecting emotionally with the right things. Yeah, I brought in a term um, uh, in some of our strategies, and we use it at staff yeah. meetings where I um, encourage the organisation to try and be world class. Now yeah. you could argue you could have a whole podcast on what is world class. Yeah. We defined it in a document, one page. I can't remember exactly what it said, but what it said to some degree didn't matter as long as it was ambitious. It was just saying, you know, we're going to try and deliver service the very best we can. Customer service is going to be yeah. very good. It's going to be the best. But part of that, I also, so one, nobody ever taught the cat organization before. Mm. And whether we ever reached world class, we certainly got very, very good. And those awards kind of, there were one suggested that, but it just changed the mindset. 
instead of just thinking out, oh, I work for a sort of charity and we can just get away with this. No, no, let's try and be really good. Let's I mean, use the term world class. Mm. But the other side of that, one that raised people's aspirations and got them thinking, hang on a minute, it's this guy coming in talking about, you know, um, the world class. But we also had to back that up because some of our services were phone-based. People phoned in and got, got that, a service over the phone about how, mm. how yeah. to the home better and that. But people were sitting with old phones, and we got we got proper headsets. People could walk about the room if they wanted to, mm. even go out, actually out in the next room. It would still work, you know, because people were mm. sitting all yeah, day. Yeah, they could yeah. move around, make tea and coffee while they were still on the phone. I trust them. And we just we invested like two screens because everybody had one screen, but the two screens made the job easier. People mm. could look at different forms yeah, of filling out, yeah, look at something. Yeah. All these little things. I thought you can't be world class unless you provide people. That's with right, with world class so, or, or equipment that works. Yeah, we're so, yeah, so trying to do both, and it really lifted the whole. Yeah, it just lifted us up a couple of notches, really. Mm. Yeah, and that's that, uh, that. There again, that's experience, experiencing, and connecting emotionally, but then experiencing and walking your talk. Because you're yeah. right, to be world class, you've got to at least provide them with the tools. That are going to help you get to world class. You can't get the world class riding a bicycle. Well, you can't win a Grand Prix riding a bicycle. You need the you need the equipment to actually have a chance of winning, or well, at least in, be in the race. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you win or not is is the now another thing. So look, yeah, that's true. So Thane, on that note, I thank you for joining us today. And and I said I I I'm sure the uh, Buddhist CEO is a is a uh, a nice title that will get people's interest. And whether it's well, a how-to so. how leadership or just a story of someone's adventure trying to be staying true to themselves, either way, you're going to learn from it. Yeah. There's no question about that because I, I, I say the book's coming from your heart. So this is, this is not a made-up <laughs> it's not a made up fantasy. It's, uh, it's something from your heart. And, and yeah, you know, the book. That, yeah. yeah. It's come from my heart. It is a fictional novel, but it's come from my experiences yeah. and, and other people and I know right. yeah. experience as CEO. And I think it would, it was in December the 13th, and I hope it would interest anybody that's interested in trying to be a, a moral and just CEO or, or leader. Yeah. As I said, it comes out from my own heart with a, with a uh, podcast title, Soul Inspired Leadership, because at the end of the Absolutely. day, you, you, you're leading with from your inner self. So Absolutely. Look, thank, thanks again, Thane, for being a guest on our show today. And Thank you again, listeners, for listening in, tuning in, and our next next podcast, well, I'm not sure when it'll be, another week or so, but um, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.